It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. My guest is award-winning jazz singer Jonathan Courant. He, along with Joshua White, will be performing in his Shadows Fall album release show at the Summerlin Library Performing Arts Theater Thursday, May 27th, and Friday, May 28th, both at 7.30. For ticket information, go to allevents.in, and for everything about Jonathan, go to jonathancourant.com, and you can follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Jonathan Courant. And Jonathan, welcome to the show. Hey, great. Thank you for having me. I find your journey interesting, Jonathan, because you originally did not plan on coming to Las Vegas. You have a great background in music as a kid, and I want you to share it with our audience. But at some point along the way, after being a soloist for the Don Bailey Jazz Concert, you were advised to come on out to Las Vegas. So before we get to the Las Vegas part, give us a little bit about your background. I was born and raised in Fort Smith, Arkansas, which was a really great childhood growing up there. It was just a great place growing up. A lot of friends and family around me that were really supportive in many different ways. And I was able to start doing some things in community theater there. I worked in some local commercials. When Unsolved Mysteries came to a to town to do something on Tony Alamo. I was in, in an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. So I, I really had an opportunity to uh, do some things, even though it was a small town. And my mother is a great music lover, but she also owned a dance shop and was a instructor at a dance studio. So a lot of times, instead of having a babysitter, I would hang out at the dance studio and sometimes take classes. And then, of course, Whenever they would have a recital performance, they always were desperate for boys. So, uh, you know, I got thrown on stage and uh, loved being on stage. And I learned movement, but I'm not a phenomenal dancer. My sister really became a great, a great dancer and choreographer. And then my father was a businessman during the day. And then he had a, a farm right outside of town. And he was kind of a hobby farmist and with a greenhouse out there and cattle. And so that was a place to play on the weekends or work and help out. So um, as a kid, I hated the work, but looking back (laughs) at it, I I think it was good, good for me. Was it because it helped you develop a work ethic? Yeah, probably. And just, you know, as a kid, you just want to play and have a great time. But yeah, it was, interesting working that that kind of land you know tending to plants or animals or i think it just yeah it gave a good work ethic and made made me connect maybe with earth and nature more so i already have an idea for your next album after shadows fall and that would be farm songs <laughs> what do you think <laughs> I'd, have, I'd have to dig dig for that i don't know a lot of farm songs i know but I, jazz versions of farm songs i yeah, think could work out yeah well. country, country westerns gone jazz <laughs> <laughs> i like that well you describe your family life so was it was the urge to perform on a regular basis 
coming from your, was it a combination of you and the encouragement of your mom and your dad and, and others in your family circle? Well, it really was something that even from a young kid, my grandparents were really involved in my life and they turned me on to, you know, like Irving Berlin and Cole Porter and, and musicals and things like that. And they were all encouraging, but yeah, it was really something that I just knew from like age five or six that I was going to be in show business. And with the jazz music, like I said, my grandparents turned me on to some of the like Great American Songbook, Tony Bennett, Frank Sinatra, these kind of people. And my mother loved Mose Allison and some blues kind of songs. And she loved the Brazil 66 and a lot of the Latin stuff that Joe Beam put out. And she listened to a lot of classical stuff being a dance background. There was always a lot of classical stuff that was from ballets and things like that. So they did influence me, but I kind of took it and dived pretty deep, especially getting into like high school. I really started digging out, you know, people like Billie Holiday, Carmen McRae, Mel Torme, Freddie Cole. I, I dug deeper and then turned these people onto them that they were maybe familiar with, but didn't really have a great understanding of their work. And um, yeah, I just kept trying to discover songs. I mean, I know the people here in Vegas, when I first came here, would always come up to me and say, oh my gosh, you sing songs that nobody else sings. And um, I guess that's because I've just digged up some of these gems that I don't know, in some ways, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess not every song can just gets the attention of certain songs. So, but I can't believe some of these songs that are a little obscure are not, you know, more well-known because they're just as good as, you know, the Fly Me to the Moons and those kind of American standards. With your background and your interest and as you were digging, and since you had the exposure to classical and pop as well as jazz and other forms of music, how did you decide to focus on jazz particularly versus those other genres? Well, I always say that it really picked me. And people would come up to me and say, oh, gosh, you're so young and, and you know all these old songs. And I, I really feel that the music, I just, I mean, it, I gravitated toward it and loved it. And I loved it more than, I loved the swing beat more than a, you know, R&B beat that, or, you know, the things that you were hearing on the radio. I immediately liked all the storytelling that goes along with these kind of lyrics. And the fact that you really had something to sink your teeth into. A lot of the music on the radio was, you know, fun. And it is fun, but it doesn't really, you know, it kind of it doesn't really stand the test of time, for one thing. You know, it, it rises up, it's popular, you hear it a lot, and then people kind of forget about it. Not all of it, but a lot of it just kind of comes and goes. It's true, and... What I find interesting is the dichotomy between the Great American Songbook and, as you said, great storytelling and the jazz idiom because that's more of an improv feel, and yet you're fusing those two together. The music is an improv feel, but the lyrics are very much a storytelling part of it. Have you ever noticed that dichotomy? Oh, yeah. I mean, I really try to get the meaning and the feeling 
across to the audience. But at the same time, I love playing with the melody. I love playing with the time. I like backphrasing. I like being on the beat, ahead of the beat, behind the beat. And it depends on the song, too. You know, if you're doing something like, um, if I'm doing No Moon at All, which is a fun swing song, or at least the way I do it, it is. You know, I'll play with certain things like that more than if I'm doing some really heartfelt, beautiful, sweet ballad. But I try to play with it enough to keep it interesting for myself and for the people listening. But I try not to play with it too much to where you just lose all of its essence. And the challenge for you, I would think, is, as you mentioned, you find these little gems and people say to you, that was great. Nobody's singing that before, or we haven't heard that, or it's an old song that you don't hear anymore. Do you find that it both limits and liberates you in that you're picking these gems that may not be overly popular or popular even, but yet are valid and significant as music, and so you aim in that direction? Does that make sense, well, what I'm suggesting? Yeah, I mean, when I'm putting together a set list for a show, I put in, I try to to make sure that I'm going to have some, you know, I, Marilyn May, who I study with, always told me, it's not about you, it's about the audience. So that being said, I always make sure to have things in there that are going to feed my soul and things in there that I know... Um, that certain people that maybe aren't as into this genre or maybe certain people that like hearing songs that they've heard 10,000 times, (laughs) you know, I try to really have a nice rounded mix of things that, you know, people will know and they've heard of them and they're going to enjoy that. And then some things that are more obscure and then some things um, that are just maybe newer that aren't really in the jazz genre, uh, bringing songs like from the animals or the guess who and turning in turning them into a a latin samba that's got a jazz uh form to it you know things like that so really uh reaching not just the hardcore jazz lovers but i think in most of my shows i think there's a little something for everybody that they could enjoy so i try to i guess i don't think i try to over please but i do try to uh make sure that i'm reaching a a nice spectrum of people and and pleasing them. We're going to be talking about your album in a few minutes, but I wanted to just focus on something else. You said another dichotomy appears, and that is Marilyn May's advice to you was it's not about you, it's about the audience, or it's about the audience, not about you. And yet at the same time, and rightly so, you said you have to feed your soul. And as a performer, and particularly in that genre, you have to be invested and passionate about your art So it has to be a little bit about you, because if you just did it for the audience, and frankly, you'd just be doing popular tunes. Right. And I don't do anything that I don't like or that that doesn't speak to me. So every song that I do is a song that I enjoy. But some of them I maybe feel have maybe been overdone or oversung or, or whatever. But with that, I think she was also meaning there are so many singers or performers that really don't think about the audience at all. They sit up there, they almost sing to themselves. I mean, you can you can look, see that they're kind of in their own world. They uh, don't address the audience. They um, 
are just up there kind of getting themselves off and not really uh, bringing the audience into it. So I think that she meant that on, on more than just one level. But yeah, I, I'll never sing anything that I don't appreciate. I could see narcissism up there from what you were describing performers that are just singing <laughs> right. to themselves, probably right. by holding a mirror as well. They don't really need and the audience. <laughs> yeah, and it's worked for some artists, but um, I really try to engage the audience. I try to make eye contact with the audience, um, not constantly, but I, I really, you know, they've taken time out of their busy life to come spend money and see me. So, and I'm getting to do something that I absolutely love that a lot of people, uh, haven't been fortunate enough to, uh, you know, hit the stage as much as I have. So I want them to leave feeling like they've been fed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Musically. Uh, yes, of you course. Know. And, and they do. And when we come back in a moment, we're going to be talking about your new album, Shadows Fallen. I'm going to reference an album you recorded here in Las Vegas in a, in a while as well. My guest, award-winning jazz singer, Jonathan Carrant, along with Joshua White, will be performing in his Shadows Fall album release show at the Summerlin Library Performing Arts Center Thursday, May 27th, and Friday, May 28th, both times at 7.30. For ticket information, go to allevents.in, and for everything about Jonathan, go to jonathancarrant.com, and you can follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Jonathan Carrant. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more Talk About Las Vegas with Ira in just a moment. Are you struggling with housing issues, mounting bills, or other legal issues? Legal Aid Center of Southern Nevada offers free legal assistance in many areas, including free classes and ask a lawyer consultations. Go to our website for more information, including how to apply for services. Visit www.lacsn.org. Now, let's get back to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Welcome back. I'm talking with award-winning jazz singer Jonathan Carrant. He's performing, along with Joshua White, in his Shadows Fall album release show at the Summerlin Library Performing Arts Theater, Thursday, May 27th, and Friday, May 28th at 7.30. For ticket information, go to allevents.in, and for everything about Jonathan, go to jonathancarrant.com, and you can follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. He's all over the place at Jonathan Carrant. And Jonathan, since I did mention a collaborator of yours by the name of Joshua White, tell us a little bit about your relationship with Joshua, how that all comes together, and, and how it all came together for your new album, which is called, again, Shadows Fall. Well, I, I first started working with Joshua White in San Diego, and we were both living there at the time. He's since moved to Los Angeles, and I'm here in Vegas. But um, we worked together a few times, and then I was performing every Saturday at the Westgate Hotel in downtown San Diego, and they had a wonderfully beautiful, almost European-feeling listening room where people really came to listen and appreciate. And I would switch it up with musicians when I first started there. And then as time went on, I saw, not to sound goofy or cheesy or something, but really the magic that was happening. We had, Joshua and I had this musical synergy together when we were 
be on stage making music and, and people noticed it and would, I li- was living in downtown San Diego and people would come up to me and say, Oh, are you at the Westgate Saturday? And yes, of course. Well, is Joshua with you? Yes. Oh, we'll be there. You know, I mean, people were really just loving watching what was going on. And he's a phenomenal pianist, really, and human being. And, and I think that that kind of goes along with, with creating great art. Also being a great person really helps you carry your talent further in other ways. But he came in second a few years back in the Thelonious Monk Awards in New York, which is a very prestigious competition that happens once a year there. People like Jane Monheit and a host of different names that you would hear know have um, won that award. And he's just really a virtuoso and brings your ears in in a way that not all instrumentalists are able to uh, to do. And some audience members, I feel like. Oh, when the solo comes, they start to kind of tune out or whatever. But when he's on stage, you really, your ears perk up and go, oh, wait, what, what's happening? So we started working together a lot and, not, and then he moved on and I moved here. But I was still performing in California at least once a month. So he was always my first call. And I said, you know, people love us together. We should do an album together in the vein of like the Tony Bennett Bill. Evans albums or I mean artists from all generations have co- like picked a musician that they just really connect with and they've done a, like a more stripped down duo album Ella Fitzgerald what did it with Joe Pess there's um, younger like singers like Sarah Gezerk and Jose James who have done piano vocal albums so it's it kind of I think people really enjoy a piano vocal album. There's no bells and whistles. It's really stripped down. It's really honest work. And I think the listener kind of gets to know you in a, in almost a more vulnerable way because there's just the two of you. And I think on this album, there's a lot of truth telling happening. And um, the songs that we picked were songs that we had had conversations with over the years or we had talked about backstage or I I knew that certain songs that I picked that he really appreciated. And then he, he mentioned some songs that I think he thought that I would appreciate or that he's heard me do that. So it was really a, a great collaboration and, and kind of a conversation between us and it's like a conversation, yeah, between the two of us as, as the album. Uh, and it kind of reflects our musical friendship, I think. It's a, it's a human synergy. Yeah. No, that's great. And one of your previous albums was called Jonathan Current Live, and that was recorded at the Smith Center here in Las Vegas. So you definitely have an affinity. And I never quite got to the question, which I am going to segue to now, see how I did that, is how did you end up in Las Vegas? Well, I had moved here, actually. I moved to New York first when I was 17, right out of high school, and I studied there. And I got a little some work there, actually, at the Metropolitan Opera House, doing more character kind of parts. And then I 
moved back to Arkansas for a minute. And was <laughs> I like going the way you school. said that for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, I knew I, I, I knew I went thinking, okay, I'll just have a little regroup. You know, I was really young moving to New York and I jumped right in and loved it, but it was, I guess, at times overwhelming. And it's such a hard city to uh, be in. And I didn't know a lot of people, you know, there weren't people really guiding me or pushing me this way or that way. So I went home for a little regroup and uh, did a semester at school there, at a college there. And um, I immediately started singing with the big band there uh, under the direction of Don Bailey and um, did some gigs there. And I mean, the people were loving the uh, big band and, and me being the, the vocalist with him was a lot of fun. And another professor at that school said, you need to be in Vegas. And that's the place for you. And because uh, I was telling him, I'm thinking about moving back to New York. And he said, no, go to Vegas. And um, I said, okay. And I finished out the semester and packed my bags and uh, grabbed a friend actually and moved here without ever even visiting. And it wasn't the best time to, to move here. It was during the recession. And um, a lot of, you know, places that I was going to begin in were playing with tracks and not live musicians. And that really wasn't my jam. I don't know. I didn't, connect. I mean, I loved the desert and I loved a lot of things about Vegas, but it just, I guess it was, my timing was off. So I visited a friend in San Diego and they had a thriving jazz scene there. And I moved there after being here for about a year. And I loved, loved California. I never thought I'd live there and immediately jumped into the music scene there it was close to Los Angeles, so I started hopping up there whenever I could and, and performing there. And then I felt like I'd outgrown San Diego, and I didn't want to live in L.A. because just the traffic and the way you get around there is so outrageously disturbing. <laughs> so I said, all right, I, I think it's time to give Vegas a, a go again. So... I did, and this time around, I think I've been here four years now, it's been wonderful. I mean, it's just been great. And I also toured with, with moving back to New York rather than here because I spend a lot of time in New York. And I thought, you know, there are a lot of me in New York. It's the jazz capital of the world. There's a ton of jazz singers there, and they're all, you know, scrounging for, for the gigs here and there. And I thought, you know, I think I might be a little more one of a kind <laughs> if I'm here in Vegas. And it, I think it has been. There's not, I mean, there's a lot of jazz performers here, but male jazz vocalists are few and far between, I think. And so it's kind of like a, a diamond in the rough or, or something that's more, there's just not as much of me here. So maybe it allows me to stand out a little more or something like that. Plus, you can use this as a base and travel, if you need to, to New York, Los Angeles, or other places. Oh, totally. And I love the entertainment community here. There's great rooms to play. The audiences here are so many people here that maybe came here to retire. Rather than having a, a hobby 
like playing golf or something. Their hobby is live music. It's a great <laughs> hobby. And they, Absolutely. Yeah, and it is. They are always wanting to go out and hear live music. And so it's a great community for that. I love the desert. I love being here. So yes, it is a great place to be based and then jump on a plane or jump in the car and, and, and head out when I need to play other cities or tour or, or whatever. The community here has been wonderful and live music is something I believe is very healing in this world where we're constantly looking at devices and our attention spans have been ruined, really. You have to stop and uh, listen to something that's real and, and it's live, it's happening right there in front of you. The energy that happens between audience and musicians on stage and in the room, the, the energy that's created is really just beautiful and it can't be, can't be done when you're just sitting at home looking at YouTube or whatever. It's really a, an experience that I think is very, very valuable and underestimated and I think it's very healing. Wise words. And I want to mention one person that you worked with because we should, which is Vinnie Falcone. Oh, yes. Yes. Would you tell our audience a little bit about Vinnie and your experience with him? Well, th that was my first time around in Vegas. That, that year that I was here, a friend of mine told me to go to Sun Song Studios because I was wanting to record. I didn't know at that time if it was going to be an album or a, a demo. It, we ended up putting together an album called Introducing Jonathan Courant. It was my first one. And Vince, the owner there, T-Bones, introduced me to Vince Falcone. And uh, for people who aren't aware, he was Sinatra's last musical director for the last several years of Sinatra's career. Well, technically, Frank and, Sinatra um, Jr. was, but he was a second to the last, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah, you are right. So I had the chance to work with some great musicians in Los Angeles, the Nancy Wilson Trio, which was Roy McCurdy, Ramsey Lewis, John B. Williams, and them, like Vince, were like a father figure in the way that they really um, gave me some great advice. He gave me great advice. We worked on the arrangements together, and they came out beautifully. Yeah, so it was a really nice to have someone like a proud papa there, kind of helping you along and showing you ropes or giving you ideas that you might not have thought of. So I, I was really glad to collaborate with him on that. And then, and then several times after we performed live a little bit uh, together, when he wasn't on up with someone like Debbie Reynolds or other people that he might have played with. But yeah, that was a great experience. And it was always great seeing him after that and checking in with him and things like that. Yeah, I wanted to give a shout out to him. Last question, and I may be putting you on the spot, your favorite song from the Shadows Fall album. Oh, gosh, that's tough because this is, a, this is kind of a labor of love. And Oh, favorite song. I think my favorite song on it might be a song written by Abby Lincoln called Being Me. It's not a love song. It's a song about life's journeys. And um, I think it, it's really uh, got some really beautiful meaning to it. And again, it's one that both Joshua and 
and myself just really love and connect with. And it's the last track on the album. I thought it was a great way to, to leave people with this kind of beautiful. And she actually, Abby Lincoln, who wrote it, saying it in past tense because she wrote it later in her career. So I changed the words a little and made it more present tense for myself. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been award-winning jazz singer Jonathan Courant. He, along with Joshua White, will be performing the Shadows Fall album release show at the Summerlin Library Performing Arts Theater Thursday, May 27th and Friday, May 28th, both at 7.30. For ticket information, go to allevents.in, and for everything about Jonathan, go to jonathancarant.com, and you can follow Jonathan on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Jonathan Carant. Jonathan, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Happy.